2: G'day folks and welcome to Australian UFO Sightings' official podcast. I'm your host Anthony Goodall and you're listening to Encounters Down Under. Here we invite guests on the show to tell us about their encounters with aliens and UFOs, where most of our episodes were streamed live from our Facebook page, which gave listeners the opportunity to ask questions to our guests regarding their encounter. If you have had an encounter and would like to be a guest on the show, please get in touch with us. You can send us a message through our Facebook page, and Encounters Down Under, or send us an email at Australian UFO Sightings at Outlook.com.au. Be sure to join us on Facebook and share with your friends and family to help us grow, and hopefully encourage others to come forward with their encounter. If you're an iTunes listener and a fan of the show, why not give us that five star rating and review, and you could have your review featured on the podcast? But enough of that, let's get into what you have been waiting for. So kick back, relax with your favourite beverage, and enjoy the show. G'day folks and welcome to another episode of Encounters Down Under. Grant Levack joins us on the show who has taken it upon himself to hit hard at the Australian government in terms of their actions in response to the recent release of admitting to the existence of unidentified aerial phenomena by the American government. He also discusses how you can help Australia pull their finger out, so to speak, to take the matter seriously and discuss it more openly. So please welcome to the show, Grant. Uh, Mate, welcome okay, to the show. Um, thanks coming for coming
0: on. Yeah, and look, thanks for having me. I really appreciate you, uh, you inviting me on and giving me a chance to... Yeah, have a chat with your audience and, and give them a, a sense as to um, what I've been able to uncover and discover through my research and, and FOIA requests uh, for for information down under. So it's, it's good to be with you.
2: Yeah, no, mate, absolutely fantastic, mate. Because um, look, you've obviously sort of come out of the shadows out of nowhere, and next minute you just popped up <laughs> and like you've actually gone straight into the hard yards there. And like you're just like all, all shots firing at the government there to try and figure out what the hell is going on on our side of things when it comes to the whole uap phenomenon so mate look um let people know who you are in general and where you sort of come across to go and start going into this whole uap task
0: yeah so to to give you i guess a bit of backstory i'm based in in melbourne originally uh from from sydney born and bred and i've um i mean i've always had a fascination for this topic ever since i was a, a young fella. uh you know my my dad when i was around about seven years of age eight seven eight years of age he took me to a, um, a UFO photo exhibition that they had on at the time at the um, Center Point Tower, now called Sydney Tower. And I remember it was these big blow-ups, these black and white blow-ups of all these famous, uh, you know, UFO sightings from back in the day. And I remember one of the the photos that was you know, blown up on this big canvas was the the McMinnville photo from from the 50s. And I remember just staring at that photo for what might have been a good 10-15 minutes, just immersing myself in that environment and thinking how frightening but also fascinating it would have been to, to stand on that ranch's farm and just be looking at this anomalous object in the sky that you've never seen before. And that really captured my uh, my curiosity from a, a young age. And then growing up as a, a young fellow, you know, every Wednesday night at nine o'clock, you'd be watching the X-Files and I, I had a subscription to for, t- for 10 times and uh, I just always had a fascination for the topic. But it wasn't until I guess the New York times articles that came out in December of 2017, that it really piqued my, um, my interest. And prior to that, my interest had kind of ebbed and flowed. So ever since really, you know, 2017 and probably more um, more so throughout COVID, I've really entrenched myself in this topic and, and just tried to soak everything up as best I can as a sponge uh, and just learn as much as I can from so many different people on this topic. And, and I, I mean, I'm really just standing on the shoulders of giants. Like there's guys like, you know, Bill Chalker, Keith Basterfield, Paul Dean, uh, Ross Coulthard, who's done some incredible work from an investigative journalist perspective, Uh, John Greenwald Jr. in the United States doing a lot of FOIA work. So I've really learned from these guys and uh, tried to, you know, um, engage my elected representatives in Australia to get a sense as to, well, what is Australia doing about? UAP UFOs, because our US ally ally and Five Eyes partner is taking this very, very seriously. But Australia doesn't seem to be doing anything, nor have they done anything since 1996, when they cancelled or they no longer decided to no longer investigate uh, reports of, of UAP and UFO. The Royal Australian Air Force no longer took reports and they referred People that had a sighting to their, you know, their local uh, law enforcement authorities, the police, or recommended they reach out to their their local civilian UFO organization like MUFON. So uh, the driving force for me, I guess, ever since um, COVID's really hit, is trying to better understand well why is Australia not taking UAP so seriously when our US ally is. So that's really where um, where I'm coming from with the. The research and the uh, all of the Freedom of Information Act requests that I've been submitting to date, with, um, with with nicely and surprisingly some success, which is good.
2: Yeah, no, that's awesome. Look, I've always had like a bit of a thoughts to like try and attack, I'll do the same as you, like you know, go into the Australian government and try to hit them up as well. But I have a deep feeling that you know, America has their pockets in our government and their our military in regards to UAPs too deeply for us to even go on you know, want to even start splurging on that sort of information. Um, Like, I know Paul Dean's done a lot of uh, attacking of the government there in regards to UAP back in the past there, and, like, he's done an amazing job. He's even attacked the the American government. But when in regards Mm -hmm. to Australia coming forward with their information, I just feel like they're not going to be really open to that sort of thing until America has sort of admitted to what their own uh, investigations have come to.
0: I think you're right. I think, um, you know, uh, it's a blessing and a curse that Australia is very attached at the hip to the US and for our our national defence. And I think, you know, Australia's been a a staunch ally of the US dating back to, you know, World War II. And I I essentially think that, like with um, a lot of things in the US, you know, ever since uh, Kennedy challenged country to reach the moon in a decade you know ever since then i think the australia and other countries around the world have have always looked to the us for leadership and and really followed their lead and i think i do think and hope that australia will eventually fall into line and follow the path that the us has taken uh on on the uap topic um i'm just not 100 sure why they're you know there's a few things that are happening either the either australia is the the australian government or the australian department of defense is watching very closely as to how this is all playing out in congress in the u.s and what um reception this is going to receive uh, by the u.s public because i think there's still a lot of political stigma and um potential political suicide that a lot of people associate with this topic but you know to a lot of the elected senators and members of parliament that have concerns that touching this topic is political suicide, I would say to them, we'll have a chat with you know, uh, the senator for Tasmania, Senator Peter Wish Wilson, who on the 27th of October last year at the, the Senate estimates hearing, he challenged then uh, Chief of uh, Air Force, Air Marshal Mel Hupfield on UAP and what is Australia doing about UAP following the release of the U.S. ODNI's preliminary assessment on UAP. And I think Mel Hupfield was very much uh, caught off guard, very much off guard uh, by Senator Wish Wilson's line of questioning. And Senator Wish Wilson wasn't satisfied with the answers that he received. So he's been pushing for for more information and clarity ever since. And he recently got re-elected this year. So, you know, to senators and members of parliament that are worried that talking about this topic is going to um, piss off or challenge, you know, worry their constituents, I would say, well, just look at the political record and, and response that Peter Senator Wish Wilson's had. And, and there are other senators uh, that I'm hearing in the background that are starting to take this topic seriously as well. So, yeah, I think the US is... Uh, Australia is keeping its cards very close to its chest and I think watching very closely as to what the US is going to do and how this is all going to play out. Um, before they actually step into the arena and, and start uh, making their voice heard as well. Be- and the other thing too, this is the other thing to remember, is that in December of last year, President Biden signed into law the National Defence Authorization Act. And if you take the time to read uh, the, 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 the mandates, the clauses that are in that document pertaining to unidentified aerial phenomena, there is one clause in that entire legislation pertaining to UAP that says one of the duties of the office that will be dedicated to the investigation of UAP UFO in the US. One of its duties will be to coordinate with allies and partners of the United States to better understand the extent and nature of UAP. So, as a Five Eyes partner of the United States, you can bet your bottom dollar that this office, whether it's the all uh, what is it the all anom- uh, anomalies domain. Resolution Office RO or whatever the, it, it evolves into being, you can bet your bottom dollar over the course of its six-year mission, they're going to reach out to Australia at some point and say, can you help us out, guys, because we're having a really tough time figuring out what UAP are. We've been looking at it uh, for, I mean, you know, decades. Uh, and Australia's actually got almost as long as a history of looking at UFOs, UAP, as the US does, dating back to, you know, almost the Roswell era. And if the U.S. comes to us and says, well, can you help us out, guys? Provide us with some data that's going to help us better understand the nature of UAP. Because we know that you've had some anomalous uh, sightings and objects reported at our joint U.S.-Australia military installation, Pine Gap, in the Northern Territory. And there have been other reports of anomalous objects at um, the Harold E. Holt base in in Western Australia. You've got Woomera in South Australia. You've got Maralinga. So... These military installations, uh, to name a few, have had a long history of having these sightings of UAP or unusual aerial sightings, as the Royal Australian Air Force referred to it um, for for many, many years. Uh, And when the US comes knocking on our door and says, guys, can you help us out to try and better understand what's going on? What is the Royal Australian Air Force and Australian Department of Defence going to do? Oh, um, sorry, guys, we... We we really haven't investigated this topic since 1996, nor have we seen uh, the classified data or classified version of, the, of ODNI's preliminary assessment on UAP. So it was only in February of this year that the Australian Department of Defense had actually bothered to read ODNI's preliminary assessment on UAP, which came out on the 25th of June of last year. Uh, so unfortunately, Australia is really burying its head in the sand on this topic. Uh, and is towing the line that, well, there's nothing to see here, move along. Uh, It's probably just prosaic explanations or benign phenomena and could be, uh, you know, foreign adversarial technology and so on. So they're they're really just not taking this topic seriously. And that's very frustrating um, when, you know, our our US ally and Five Eyes partner is. And for good reason, because there was, you know, if if the Royal Australian Air, and I know I'm kind of you know um, yapping on a bit here, but if the Australian Department of Defence or Royal Australian Air Force um, still thinks that there is no compelling or scientific reason to des- to devote resources to the investigation of UAP, which is exactly the reason why they terminated their unusual aerial sightings policy formally in two thousand and thirteen if they cannot find any compelling or scientific reason, I would say to them, well, just have a look at the ODNI's preliminary assessment, because out of the 144 cases, case reports of UAP, only one could be positively identified. 143 remain completely unknown. So that's that's a success rate of less than 1% to identify what those 144 reports were. So if if the Australian Department of Defense needs a compelling reason, there's 143 of them right there. And the fact that you haven't been looking at this topic since 1996 tells, uh, I think many people like myself, that it's time for you to review your position on this topic and decide if you're going to follow suit that of the U S and take it seriously.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. It it sort of makes me like, like going back onto like how much power the Americans must have like over Australia. If you look at the rest of the world, like, They've obviously had their own experiences, their own encounters, their own investigations into what UAPs or UFOs, whatever you want to call them, whatever term. There's so many different countries around the world that America doesn't really touch on, you know, like they don't really have that strong an alliance with to be able to control them saying, hey, look, don't be going revealing anything special. Um, But yet there seems to be no real evidence from other countries, like nothing um, defining, nothing credible, you know, nothing that, that can rule out any possible misidentifications. So, like, where's their evidence coming into the world? wide? But yet, we seem to be so focused on the American government on what they want to be releasing. Yet, we've got, like, you know, Russia, for instance, China. They, they want to get, obviously, like, maybe the same boat, too, of um, they don't want to go and reveal how much they know about uh, unknown technologies just yet, maybe. I don't know. There could be other reasons. But you still have those smaller countries that don't really have much involvement with the Americans to be able to, you know, say, like, look, we have found these little weird things, you know, UFOs or whatever. But still, nothing gets released.
0: Well, look, look what happened only a couple months ago. Brazil held um, a, a public—I believe it was a congressional hearing—went we for about five, five and a half hours, um, talking about the the UFO issue as it pertains to Brazil. And Brazil has had um, a, a long history of having you know sightings, uh, and the military have been involved with um, you know. I wouldn't say dogfights, but tailing or trying to chase chase down uh, UAP. I mean, there's one example where another country outside of the US, US is talking about this topic and taking it seriously. And then you have obviously Australia's other Five Eyes partner and, and border ally with the US, Canada. You know, Canada is now taking this topic very seriously and and has concerns around, well, what what threats do UAP closed, uh, in, um, pose to our nuclear um, capabilities and installations and nuclear-powered assets? Uh, and, I mean, if you go through over the, the last couple of decades, I mean, France. France has a long history of, of taking this topic very seriously. I believe they, they published some scientific um, papers, materials, uh, a good number of years ago Saying that you know this is this there's a there there to this phenomena and it needs to be studied uh, and taken seriously and uh, the, you know scientific scrutiny and scientific method needs to be applied to this topic. Uh, I mean the U, the UK is a, is a is an interesting fish. They're very much like Australia and they're sitting on their ass. They're not doing anything. They you know that that the Condine report came out um, you know a couple decades ago and they pretty much concluded that no there's nothing to worry about you know nothing to see here move along folks Uh, but there are other countries around the world that are um, that they've had have a history of talking about this topic and taking it seriously and I think more and more countries are going to start following um, the loud noise that the U.S. is making the Americans are making uh, and and start to follow their lead I mean Russia and China we know that um, China uh, you know, has um, a program, from, from all accounts, it has a program to investigate this phenomenon. Uh, you know, you have, I mean, there is the, the famous incident over Iran in the, the late 70s. So, you know, it's, it's not like this issue or this topic is isolated to the US, but I think that the US has the largest and strongest military power in the world that... There's a combination of real phenomena um, happening in the the skies above uh, North America. And you also have the potential for top secret black budget tech that's being tested uh, and being misidentified as UAP or UFO uh, because the military is so entrenched with the the private sector with your Lockheed Martins, your, uh, you know, all all of those uh, contractors that do top secret work with the US, Boeing being the other one. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if there is, um, you know, a, a lot of these sightings are, you know, top secret tech that has been in development for many decades that we don't know a single thing about. I mean, you just need to go back and have a look at the history of Area 51 and what came out of Area 51. You had the U2, you had... Uh, the SR-71 Blackbird, you, you know, you, stealth technology, stealth bomb technology came over there. And, and, and that wasn't revealed uh, for several decades after it was actually even, you know, even came off the production line. So, um, yeah, I think that, you know, the US is making the loudest noise on this topic because of the, I think, the, the military presence that they have and the sheer uh, populace that's over there. But uh, I think that other countries are going to be uh, more open to talking about this topic because they feel that they feel that they can now do so uh, and not be ostracized or ridiculed uh, or uh, or see the the same level of stigma that has plagued this topic sadly for seventy five years because U.S. lawmakers and uh, members of the U.S. Department of Defense are now actively talking about this topic and they're encouraging. Uh, you know their military aviators and personnel to come forward and report on it, which they, they haven't in the past. So stigma, unfortunately, I think, is a is a product of the military. I mean, for so long, there's been a, a an, an effort to um, you know ridicule or downplay if uh, if a pilot or a military aviator has a sighting. So out of fear of reprisals or being the you know the the joke of the uh, of the room, folks wouldn't talk about it. and I, I I suspect that still goes on today. You have commercial general aviation and military aviators that that won't touch this topic, they won't talk about it because of that stigma. But the stigma is slowly sc- slowly starting to come down. the walls are starting to slowly fall on this topic. and I think that's in part because of the legislation that has now been passed and that was, advocated by so uh, strongly by Senator uh, Kirsten Gillibrand uh, you know Marco Rubio you've got some very strong advocates um, in the. US that are that are pushing hard uh, Tim Perchett you know those those guys uh, you know they're 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 having some big conversations um, publicly and behind closed doors where they've been exposed to some pretty, Pretty uh, apparently awesome and hair-raising stuff that's got them concerned enough to the point where they've now passed some pretty big legislation that is going to force the U.S. Department of Defense uh, to reveal its hand and be and start to be a lot more transparent on this topic.
2: Yeah, so it sort of makes you wonder too. Like um, obviously, when it comes to pilots and that, when they say they're claiming they're seeing these objects or you know they they withheld this information with this news. Um, uh, stat that coming out or whatever. Um, you know, they're going to be start bringing out whistleblowers so they're not going to be... Uh, yeah, so the, the yeah. Intelligence
0: Authorization Act, yep.
2: Yep, that one. Um, with these pilots, is there going to be like any accountability held with the governments or any uh, companies, businesses that uh, have been, uh, you know, giving reprisals to these pilots there where they've been losing their jobs or, you know, they've been questioned with their mentality? like i feel personally like there needs to be some sort of accountability and some sort of um reprisal at least for these policy you know just sort of have their own uh, you know their life I, back I, I agree your... with you
0: yeah i mean he- heads will certainly roll because there's a lot of folks that have been their lives have been ruined um for for talking out and just you know stating what it is they saw they don't know what they saw but they saw something and they say something and then um, their job security is threatened, their pension is threatened, they're, they're made to be uh, you know, they're, they're ridiculed and, and made fun of. So I think the, the ambitions that the US Congress has with the, the, uh, the Intelligence Authorization Act when hopefully it gets signed into law this year, um, the, the anti-reprisal legislation and whistleblower protections that are in, incorporated in that bill uh, Are significant, so you, you're going to see a lot of folks that were not able to talk because the, they, had an, they had a they had a a non-disclosure agreement, or just the nature of their um, you know top secret security clearance. They couldn't break their security oath. They're now going to be a position where they can come out and talk about this, probably more so still behind closed doors to converse in a. In in a closed session, but they'll be able to finally say you know say what they know and say what they've seen, uh, and if there are reprisals taken upon people that say something, um, well, part of le- that legislation is that you know if 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 you have uh, reprisals placed against you for speaking out to Congress, well, then you can sue. You can sue your employer. And your employer is going to be liable for um, you know unfair um, uh, unfair dismissals or any um, you know reprisal actions that they take or trying to uh, you know really uh, push someone around and and make their life really challenging for just talking out. Which so that the whole. There's, I think there's now a shift around this whole need-to-know emphasis to a need to share because I think Congress is worried that if, if a UAP turns out to be foreign adversarial technology, which a lot of people um, don't really put a lot of stock in that, uh, if you listen to folks like Elizondo and Christopher Mellon and, and other folks, but if it was foreign adversarial technology, it only takes one... To you know, have first strike capability, and if if something like that was to to happen, well, that is that is a greater intelligence failure than that of nine eleven. So I think, and you know, part of nine eleven was the fact that the intelligence communities and uh, different agencies, the three letter agencies, didn't share any information. So I think Congress is really wanting to start. Getting a lot of this information out of these com- compartmentalized silos that's been guarded so closely by faceless you know, men and women in the, the U.S. Department of Defense that have been the gatekeepers of this topic for so long, and get the, this information out so Congress can actually have some oversight over what um, you know what is going on in these special access programs or un- unacknowledged special access programs or unacknowledged waived special access programs that are rumored to be operating uh, in, in you know, under the cover of darkness. So, um, yeah, I, I think that, you know, when this legislation gets passed, there are going to be um, a lot of folks in terms of, you know, big corporations that have safeguarded and kept a lot of this information secret for so long. I think they're going to be shitting bricks because uh, they know that this information's coming out and there's not a damn thing they can do to stop it.
2: Yeah, going back to um foreign adversaries there. Like if they if these were um like for instance like you had the uh, the drones following around that military ship, uh, what was it off California was it San Diego, I can't remember where exactly it was, but you know, they had like multiple drone swarms around one of these navy military ships. Now, mm-hmm. if if they knew the these were adversaries, Surely, having those drones within that range of that ship, there would be counted as a threat, going from a military perspective. So, the thing I don't understand is like obviously, like you know, I'm not sure. um, Going from the Congress meeting, there, one of the guys asked the question of, "Have you tried to make contact with these unknown objects or crafts or whatever?" And the response was no. So it makes me wonder, like with these drones, did they try and contact these drones to try and communicate like what their reasons for being there are? Or even trying to say, look, like, coming into our airspace, this is known as becoming a threat. If you keep coming closer, we're going to go and take fire. But by sounds, we've gone from, uh, I can't remember where I heard the information from, but they basically, one of the sailors is like, going, look, we've got these objects here. What do you want to do about them? The officer's like, just let them, let them alone, leave them alone. So it makes me sort of wonder... How much is being known about these drones that is being hidden away? That the hierarchies are sort of keeping it hush hush between their sailors, uh, you know, the military, whoever's on the ships, and these are the normal guys. Like I'm saying, like like lower ranks, the rook, uh, the grunts of the ships, basically. They're going. I don't know what these are, but the officers are like going, "Yeah, look, we know what they are, but we just can't tell you." Sort of thing. Is it? What does that make
0: sense to you? It does, yeah, and and you raise a really good point. Like the uh, the US has a serious drone issue at the moment, uh, whether it's you know whether it's foreign adversarial drone technology or it's homegrown drone technology, there is a real uh, there is a real problem, and and there are um, there are you know people that are thinking, well, if you if you watch. Um, the, the The public hearing that the u s. had, the first public congressional hearing that Congress had uh, back in the middle of May, first public hearing in fifty four years, first of my lifetime, it was very, very exciting to watch. And you had you know Scott Bray and Roger Moultrie um, um, come in and they tried to sell the story that this is just a drone problem. I don't think they were being as forthcoming as they, should have been on this topic. And I think they're positioning this, that it's all right, don't worry, go back to your normal lives. This is just a drone problem. We're getting to the bottom of it. But then if you look at these drone swarms that have been reported, I mean, Jeremy Corbell was the one that released information about the, the swarms, that uh, I think it was above the USS Russell. And the question that I asked, well, why isn't the Navy engaging these drones? Yeah. If you don't know what it is, bring it down, either shoot it down or bring it down with a directed energy weapon. And find out its source, you know, track exactly. down. And so, so why why aren't they engaging these drones? Is there a fear that well, maybe that's the uh, the intention of whoever the operators are of the drones is the intention of the drone swarm to capture glimpse of what the U.S. Navy's response would be to drone activity, so that they can, if it is foreign adversarial, then they can get a. A leg up on how US responds, um, you know, in 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 a in a defense situation like that. But that was my um, if if it was only drones. Well, why not engage it, bring it down, so you can identify what the source is? Because if you're not, the Navy is looking grossly incompetent uh, by by not being able to get a handle of a drone issue. And so, if it is just drones, then. There is a huge embarrassment problem that the U.S. Department of Defense and Navy is going to face by, you know, the strongest military in the world and the and the most expensive toys. If the U.S. is not able to identify the source of a drone, then it's got some big problems on, it hand, on its hands. If it's not a drone... Uh, or, or if it is, um, you know, let's let's say, for example, it is a drone, but it's of non-human intelligence, then OK, well, then that's exactly why we need a program like ARO um, uh, that US Congress is pushing for to investigate this and, and get to the bottom of it and have, you know, members of the military proactively report these accounts rather than, uh, you know, going to the the, the, you know the captain of the vessel and uh it just being you know flubbed off or or brushed aside by the the commanding officer so if you watch one thing i will say is if you watch um lieutenant ryan graves who was uh part of the squadron that uh cited the i think it was the gimbal and the GoFast um uaps in i think it was 2015 i can't quite remember but if you listen to his most recent interview on the Lex, Lex Friedman podcast, which is a really fascinating interview, he was, he was telling an account where um, after the, the Gimbal account, where a lot of folks went um, in a closed room to actually have a look at the, the footage, the at footage that was captured of the, of the Gimbal craft, uh, they were like, what the hell is this? this? I've never seen anything like this before. These, What are these objects? And the commanding officer, the captain of the ship, comes down, walks in the room, sees what's on screen, and within a couple of seconds, goes, huh, and then turns around and walks out. So Ryan Graves was under the impression, based on what he, um, he you know, relayed in that interview, that there, there are people that know what these things are, uh, that his impression was the commanding officer of that ship, the captain knew what he was looking at. So either these um, are, you know, uh, UAP that are known about, um, that the military don't want to touch it, or it's something closer to home, like some top secret black budget technology that, you know, commanding uh, those that are in positions of authority and, you um, commanding officers and captains have been told to shut their mouth about um because it's 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 top secret tech that only a few folks have a need to know and my issue with that is this if ryan graves has been pushing hard on well uap pose a potential safety of flight risk and if if the Boeings and the Lockheed Martins of the world are testing top-secret technology and black-budget tech that the likes of military aviators have never seen before and that is you know, appearing to defy the known laws of physics and act in ways that folks have not seen before, if this technology is being tested on US soil uh, with without the prior knowledge of military aviators then the u.s department of defense has it's it's that's a massive breach of duty of care that it has of its military aviators and personnel so and that's where i think if this all comes out that um you know there is some uh that there has been um you know, if these if these stories of crash retrieval programs are true, which Congress is really trying to tr- chase down via this this new legislation by the Intelligence Authorization Act, if crash retrievals are in fact true, and there have been efforts to re, re- reverse engineer uh, non-human craft, and if you listen to the, the the likes of people like Frank Milburn, who have um, his sources have told him that the U.S. has been able to revert, reverse engineer uh, a, a shitty version of a UAP, in quotes. And if 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 the U.S. has, in fact, recovered and reverse engineered top secret tech uh, and are testing that tech on military aviators without their knowledge, then heads will roll. Yeah, it sort of makes
2: out. you wonder, too, like um, just how much has been hidden in this world. Um, just by all that, like, you know, because, like, you know, Roswell being the first real big sort of crash retrieval, basically, and I suppose, like, if you, if you want to look down that sort of path there, like, yeah, our technology sort of boomed from that, um, going from that timeline there, like like we say, getting, like, you know, compact disks, you know, computer chips, was like, you know, everything just sort of just boomed from that sort of moment on. And it, just, it sort of makes you wonder, like, how much of, This technology, do they have hidden behind those closed doors that could easily just advance human civilization? But it's like, but why hide so much of that technology when we could just sort of like you know advance so quickly into a massive benefit of the world?
0: Uh, I'm with you. That and th- I'm 100% with you. That's my massive gripe. And and I posted this uh, not long ago on on Twitter. And my comments were, if you know, call me naive, but if it turns out to be true that the U.S. government has successfully recovered, or has has uh, you know had these successful crash retrieval programs, um, and has. Um, you know, sacrificed the advancement of human civilization in favour of national security, then that, that pisses me right off. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, think of the the trillions of dollars that have been wasted on space exploration, on, um, you know, trying to help impoverished and, and poorly developed countries of the world. I mean, if there is this technology out there that, um, you, you know, has propulsion, a propulsion system that we've never seen the likes of before and, and, and operates in ways that defy the known laws of physics, then that's technology that science could uh, benefit from understanding and researching and studying. Uh, and just, you know, think of the, the technology and advancements that could come from that. So that's why I'm, I'm really um, hoping that these you know, a lot of people say, "If well, Roswell, 75 years ago to this this year, you know, a couple of months back, if there was in fact a uh, a craft that was recovered, um, and it's been, you know, sitting uh, in you know a, a, a top secret military installation like an S four or an Aero fifty one or wherever it might be, and for 75 years." The you know top scientists that work for or contracted by the U.S. Um, uh, military-industrial complex, if they can't figure this out because they've so com- compartmentalized their special access programs and you know, um, unacknowledged special access programs and UWSAPs, because scientists can't talk to one another or share and share or collaborate on better understanding the science. Then you know that that's just um, that just tells you that science does not benefit from compartmentalization, and I would uh, much pref- I would much prefer to see um, you know the scientific and the uh, scientific and, and and academic communities uh, collaborate on better understanding you know this technology. And granted, there's always national security implications, and you know you, you have to be mindful that. Uh, what you tell the world, you also tell your enemies, but surely there can be a balance on maintaining national security interests, but also uh, advancing uh, and progressing, you know, this, this blue marble of ours, because if we don't, we're never going to get to being a type one um, civilization. You know, we're, we're, we're going to be so stuck in this way of tribal warfare and, warring games with one another that we we're never going to uh progress as as a species that's 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 my big fear and gripe anyway
2: yeah when you talk about compartmentalizing scientific research and whatever like you look at nasa back in the 60s there when they were trying to get to the moon um and now they say like we can't get back to the moon because we lost this technology that could be a result of this whole comment compartmentalizing the scientific research into building rockets and that, and the guys who were in development of building these rockets to get to the moon continuously for, what was it, like uh, 14, 15 missions to the moon or something like that? Um, don't quote me on that, I don't know. <laughs> but um,
0: Yeah, no, you're about right, I think. Um... Um, but yeah,
2: all of a sudden, it just, it, it just went kapoof. Um, it was like, oh, we can't, we're can't, we not going to the moon now because we can't afford it, or you know, it's whatever reasons they've come up with. But yeah, they're saying they can't get back to the moon because they don't have the technology anymore. It's like, well, how do you just lose... Decades of research into building rockets to get you to a to the moon, basically, and it's, it's just com- it's confusing on how this government works. That's so so um, you know, supposed to be so efficient and you know so advanced in their own ways, basically, but yet still can't control how much of uh, their own information that they're trying to con you know, contain for themselves. You know, it's really strange.
0: You know, I mean, look what happens when government become, becomes complacent as well. You know, NASA's become complacent, and as a result, that that gave rise to the Elon Musk's of the world, and you know yeah. the the um, the Jeff Bezos, and, and those guys are now um, at the forefront. They're the you know at the frontier of uh, in, you know developing technology that's gonna that's gonna get us beyond the moon, and and you know Elon Musk is on. He's he's laughing all the way to the bank because now NASA is paying him for every uh, every launch that you know he puts up and 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 gets new satellites up there or you know the the, the Artemis mission. I mean, look at the Artemis mission as an example. And and I, I'm a I'm a big um, supporter of NASA. I actually I really uh, admire the the ingenuity and the innovation and the and the brilliant minds at NASA. I do think that they unfortunately. Um, have been given scraps in terms of funding. I mean, if you look at the Artemis mission, which has now been scrapped for its second launch and hopefully is going to launch again soon, they've, you know, they're essentially, they haven't got any money to do anything new. So they're having to reuse the, um, you know, the, uh, the the engine systems from the Challenger spacecraft, you know, the, 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 the sorry, not the Challenger, the shuttle, the shuttle, um, the shuttle cr- uh, you know, the, the, the space shuttle crafts, which were, Retired, um, you know, almost two decades ago. So, you know, it's it's unfortunate that NASA has kind of fallen by the wayside, uh, and they they led the charge for so many years, and they were seen by the rest of the world as, you know, if if we can get to the moon in ten years, then we humans are capable of doing anything. And then after they stopped going to the moon, um, they seem to lose that. That, um, that appetite for, for new discovery. I mean, the exceptions to the rule obviously are, you know, the, the amazing work that the Hubble Telescope has done and now the James Webb um, Telescope. I mean, that's, that's really exciting to see what comes out of James Webb. Uh, and, but you've, you've now got, um, you know, these, these uh, other private enterprises that are leading the charge. And, and I really... Um, advocate for and, and value the work that you know, Professor Avi Loeb is doing of the Galileo Project. You know he is saying, well, we're not going to wait for the government to tell us what is in, the, in our skies. We're going to go out there and look ourselves because the skies aren't classified. So there, you know, as the professor of uh, astronomy at Harvard University, he's uh, he is gathering a coalition of scientists and academics. Uh, and people, philanthropists that have a lot of money uh, and in you know, trying to build these, uh, th- these new technology telescopes in the effort of trying to capture uh, a high resolution, high fidelity image or footage of a, of a UAP. So they're not waiting for the likes of the government to provide them with that data. Um, they actually, Avi Loeb doesn't want any government data because if he does... He gets it, it's classified and he can't do anything with it. He can't open source it. He can't get other scientists to look at it. So I am, I have more hope for uh, an endeavor like the Galileo project than I do uh, for some form of disclosure to come from um, the the US or other governments uh, around the world. So uh, I hope I'm wrong on that, but that's, you know, I think uh, Avi is, his head is in the right place and he is. He's not driven by ego, uh, and he's not—he's um, not plagued by stigma. He's just, you know, he, he's just—he he knows what his uh, mission is, and he's going for it.
2: Yeah, it's sort of frustrating too, like when uh, they even like when they first brought out the initial footage there of a to UAPs there, or was it 2017? I think with the Tic Tac there. Um, like as good as it was, but it just wasn't convincing enough for me um, I don't know if, I'm sure a lot of people will be feeling the same too because like, it doesn't really show much compelling evidence to say this is actually a UFO craft You know, it could be uh, foreign adversaries, it could be um, non-human technologies there's nothing there to really indicate what exactly we were looking at all we had to really go by was a pilot's recollection of the whole events and yet we only still get given what was it, 30 seconds of the footage and it's like, well, hmm. where, where's the rest of it? Where was this whole compelling um, story that you just given us? To say this is what we are looking at, and yet there's a video to go with it, does not give any credibility to the whole situation.
0: Where's the Where's the remaining four minutes from the gimbal footage? You know, yeah, that hasn't. Why Why was not the full footage uh, released? And you know, on, on its at face value, I agree with you. I think the tic tac gimbal and go fast videos. They're interesting, but they're not compelling on their own because we're not seeing any of the five observables in any of those videos. We're not seeing, um, you know, uh, instant acceleration. We're not seeing anti-gravity. We're not seeing uh, you know, evasion of radar detection. We're not seeing transmedium capabilities. You know, what, all of the five observables. We're not seeing any of them in any of those videos. But then, if you take the totality of those videos with the uh, the visual. Uh, you know the visual evidence or the visual sightings I guess from the the pilots the sensor data that is available I mean you've got folks like for the Nimitz incident, instance uh, incident with the tic-tac you know you've got uh, Kevin Day uh, reporting that the tic-tac was picked up at 80,000 feet and then just dropped down to was it 20 feet 15 feet above sea level in, in a matter of a second uh, So, so that data you know when looked at in concert with the available at FLIR, the video footage with pilot testimony and other data starts to give you a, a bit of a picture that there is th- there is something strange here that warrants scientific scrutiny and investigation and it's unfortunate that the the general public the the taxpaying public has yet to see seeing uh, any of the videos that um, has really um, flabbergasted your know, lawmakers behind closed doors, and if you listen to folks like Hal Putoff, who say that you know there is in the possession of the U.S. government the highest resolution and highest fidelity footage and imagery of UAP that you can imagine, the U.S. taxpayer unfortunately is probably never going to see that footage. Uh, but we need something other than what has been made available at the moment because it's too ambiguous. It's not, uh, it's not definitive enough. We need to see some high fidelity, high resolution imagery that is going to, um, you know, convince, I mean, we're already convinced us in this community that know that there is a phenomena, but it's about, you know, convincing and, uh, and increasing an awareness to folks that have no idea about this topic, that just go about their lives and, just do their nine to five and would prefer to watch the Kardashians on their smartphone. And that's fine. If they want to live their life, just going about that and, you know, ignorance is bliss mentality, no problem. But I'm sure that there are a lot of folks out there in the general populace that would find this topic as fascinating as I do, if they were to see some more convincing data, which I, unfortunately we, unfortunately we haven't seen that convincing data to date. Um, You know, that has been, uh, verified and corroborated by multiple uh, sources and sensors and so and so on. So, and hopefully that's why an endeavor like the uh, the Galileo Project may be able to produce that um, that that data that we're looking for. So, uh, but I will say it is one of the gripes that I've had, and I know I kind of yap on and, and go on a different tangent, but one of the gripes that I've got in Australia is not only is the Australian Department of Defense, burying its head in the sand and not wanting to touch this topic the Australian mainstream media is also very very slow on the uptake Um, credit to them that they are starting to cover this topic more frequently than they have in the past but they're still um, they're not exercising an ounce of journalistic due diligence on this topic you'll get occasionally Jeremy Corbell come on Sunrise in the morning and talk about well, what's the latest going on, going on, goings on in the US, basically. And he and and credit to Jeremy Corbell. You know, I a lot of people may not agree with uh, his narrative. I mean, I think he's done a great job of trying to increase an awareness of the UAP topic to the masses. And and I credit the mainstream media for doing that, particularly Ross Coulthard with his now three documentaries that he's produced through the the Seven News Spotlight program. Uh, you had Liz Hayes do a program on Nine not long ago. So, you know, Ten's talked about it. Uh, the, the, the the mainstream channels are talking about it, but none of them to date have, have challenged Australia's defence leadership on this topic and asked the question of the Minister for Defence and Deputy Prime Minister, Richard Miles, why is Australia not taking UAP seriously when our US ally and Five Eyes partner is? That's the question I want the mainstream media to ask so people like me don't have to ask it and try and get to the bottom of it through Freedom of Information Act requests. So that's my uh, frustration with the media is that they're they're still not taking this topic seriously like they should be.
2: Yeah, honestly, I feel like the Australian government should just come straight out afterwards, at least saying, look, we are looking at this as well. You know, um, obviously... Americas handling it as a potential threat to you know Airways our own defense departments you stuff like that, you know and obviously like if, if America is holding it as a, a a potential threat then the whole of the world should be considering it as a potential threat as well
0: absolutely and so, that and that's the whole angle that I've been pushing up. my questions have been repeatedly what what strategies are you you being the Australian Department of Defense and Royal Australian Air Force, what strategies are you putting in place to mitigate the risks inherent that UAP pose, not just military aviators, but commercial pilots as well. I mean, you've got, I mean, to give you an example, you know, the Royal Australian Air Force stopped investigating UFOs in 1996. I queried with the um uh, Roger Stanovic, I can't pronounce his surname if I've uh, botched that, but he's the the director of MUFON Australia and New Zealand. I reached out to him when I was doing some of my research, and I asked him, "Well, a- across a comparable time range that the the UAP task force in the US was looking at these 144 case reports." Of UAP, you know, from two thousand and four to basically two thousand twenty-one, how many Australian reports of UAP were received by MUFON in that time frame? And they had received one thousand one hundred seventy-eight reports of UAP in that comparable time frame. Now, surely there'll be a percentage of those that are prosaic misidentification. Uh, there will be natural phenomena, but the Royal Australian the Royal Australian Air Force ceased its investigation of. Unusual aerial sightings or UAP UFO back in 1996 because it could not it could not um, it it, it could not it did not have any compelling or scientific reason to devote resources to the topic going forward despite the fact that they could not um, identify they could not explain three percent of the cases of UAP uh, throughout their lifetime of their unusual aerial sightings policy. Now, 3%, if you take 3% of that 1178 figure that I gave you from MUFON, that's about 35 cases of true unknowns. They could be true UAP. So again, isn't that the fact that you can't identify everything that you're looking at, isn't that enough of a compelling reason to continue to devote resources, to investigate it, to understand what it is, whether it is foreign adversarial in nature and and obviously the intelligence community looks at foreign adversarial wants to know what our um our our, you know our adversaries and friends are doing but Australia is a member of the five eyes and the five eyes share signals intelligence and the reason why they share signals intelligence is to better understand to assess and better understand uh the what potential threats might lie ahead from foreign adversaries so that they can strengthen their capabilities and mitigate their vulnerabilities. And if, the, if, if Australia is not, uh, you know, if the US is wanting to share signals intelligence with Australia because they're going to be coming to us and asking us questions, but Australia has no interest in this topic, and a quote I'll give you is that the one of the most recent Freedom of Information Act uh, documents that I received was um, a briefing paper for the Chief of Air Force. And there were talking points in that briefing paper so that essentially if the Chief of Air Force was asked questions on UAP by members of parliament or the media, he had a script that he could follow. And one of the questions was, uh, you know, to the effect of uh, does the uh, does the Australian Department of Defence um, has the Australian Department of Defence collaborated with other countries and allies on this topic? And the answer was f- flatly, the talking point was, no, we, there is no desire to collaborate on this topic. The Australian Department of Defence has no desire to collaborate with allies on this topic. Uh, and that is a real, real unfortunate shame and I think is going to bite the Australian Department of Defence in the arse when um, this topic blows up with the, with the signing of the Intelligence Authorization Act because there's, you can bet your ass, there's going to be a hell of a lot more congressional hearings that are going to take place, uh, if not this year, in 2023. And that, I think, is really going to shift the landscape of this topic on an international stage, international level. And Australia is not going to have any other choice than to enter the arena and start taking this topic seriously. So they're going to get pulled into it, dragging, you know, kicking and screaming. Um, I just want them to be a bit more proactive and get into the game you know get off their ass and get into the game before they're actually dragged into it and uh, they look like a bit of an embarrassment to the other developed countries of the world
2: yeah absolutely I honestly i hope the rest of the world sort of follows suit and start actually sharing everything they know or anything basically on what they have in this whole situation because um as frustrating as it is yeah australia is really lagging behind on this whole concept um so long ago. I've had so many sightings and encounters um, historically as you mentioned earlier on the show. There's been so much that's happened, you know, like um that needs to be released, needs to be explained at least. Um, like you look you look at Westall of um, all um sightings, you know, that's over hundred people there, buddy seeing this thing there and there's still no explanation. Like that's the biggest cover up of Australians history with the UFO, UFO situation. And that's just gone yeah disappeared with that sort of information totally by down. the way
0: sir, i i agree with you and and look if if westall was a, a prosaic explanation well where's the where's the documentation from the the air force uh to indicate well what its determination was uh what determination did it make on what could explain the westall incident and apparently there was uh you know a comprehensive report that was compiled by the then Department of Supply, which has conveniently and mysteriously vanished. It's no longer, uh, it can't be tracked down. So I think Westall is certainly um, a a cold case that uh, would, it it would be, it would be wonderful to see uh, that revisited at an, at an official capacity and have, that looked at again because it begs more questions than it does answers. You know, there's, there are so many witnesses. You had a teacher. Uh, I can't remember the gentleman's name, but a teacher observed it and then he was essentially told to shut up and uh, keep his mouth shut. Why? Because it was um, a true it was, it was the true phenomena an unidentified flying object that potentially could be non-human intelligence, or was it a top secret project that was being tested and then happened to go belly up and, um, and have a bit of a, um, an, an early landing. And it's, you know, it was exposed to uh, you know all these, all these kids. I mean, one way or the other, you know, Westall was now what, 50 years ago. So I think it's, I think, you know it's it's time for if it was top secret tech, well, I think it's a safe bet for the military to now come out and reveal what it was, but if it wasn't and it was something that is still unexplained to this date, then that's a compelling reason for it to be further investigated
2: yeah, absolutely um I was going to say something then too now I've lost be trying to thought now because it's um <laughs> yeah. um oh, where was it going with it now?
0: Well, it's, and you know, Westall is, I would say, on par with, uh, you know, the the, the Ariel School case out of Zimbabwe. I mean, I know that um, the Ariel phenomenon was a, a great documentary that came out a couple of months ago. But that's, you know, Westall is really Australia's version of the the, the Ariel School event, to a degree. Not so much what was seen, but the fact that you had so many witnesses uh, observe and report. Uh, you know comparable um descriptions of i'm sure there's discrepancies over time because everyone's memory fades certainly after 50 years but if you were to look at uh the you know the the witness testimony what they saw what they drew i think you have um a pretty good uh, there's there's some alignment there with what what they all saw so if it was if it does truly remain unexplained to this day then yeah absolutely it's one that should be um should, should warrant further investigation and, and, and scrutiny.
2: Yeah. Uh, it also makes me wonder, like going on a bit of a, um, you know, a bit of a, a deeper, deeper down the wormhole. sort of thing. like going on control of how much information is being shared and all sort of stuff, it sort of makes you wonder, is there some sort of like, I'm going to say extraterrestrial or something like that, some sort of higher being control that is giving this, information like a slow release, you know, um on how much information is being taken out, how much is being given. Um it sort of really does make you wonder how much is or who in in that matter is controlling this whole agenda of the information that, you know, what's being kept secret.
0: Yeah, there's this this you know, I think um disclosure, like I remember Lou Elizondo said that um you know he 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 would would always frame it as well disclosures already happened well i think disclosure is very subjective it means different things to different people i mean if you if disclosure to you means that ufo's are real then 100% disclosure has already occurred because the us government has said that uap are real there are you know, there are these things that we cannot identify if disclosure to you means that there is an extraterrestrial presence already here or one that is um, visiting us now, as opposed to has been for for millennia, then uh, you know that level of disclosure—that's a tough one. I mean, I would, I would love to believe that there is um, you know an extraterrestrial presence that has been visiting us for um, you know thousands uh, of years. I mean, if you look at all of the rock carvings uh, from different corners of the globe and the the petroglyphs the 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 imagery that they depict um you know you look at some of that imagery and you think well that looks strikingly that that striking strikingly resembles what we would uh know in pop culture as the an alien gray or as an extraterrestrial so you know i i don't know i i would i my hope is that disclosure um there seems to be this kind of drip feed of information that's been happening since 2017. And you've got this very slow release of information, trying to, uh, trying to almost desensitize the general populace that there is this unknown phenomena that we, uh, you know, if, if, if the government of the world know more than what they're telling, then they want to slowly drip feed this information to the populace so that there isn't this fear and panic and, you know, world financial markets don't just, you know, overturn overnight. So is there this drip feed of disclosure or is there uh, this, is this all leading up to one significant event, which will be, um, you know, concrete and irrefutable evidence that there is um, there is uh, life beyond our planet. We're not alone in the universe. I mean, yeah, that's the, the, the If we can answer that big question, you know, the three big questions are are we alone? Is there a God? And what happens when you die? And if we can answer, are you alone? Are we alone? Then, man, you're going to get so many more people looking up the, at the stars with uh, intrigue and wonder and, um, you know, wanting to aspire to uh, reach the stars. And you're going to have a, a huge, I think, um, uh, blow up of people wanting to immerse themselves in the discovery sciences and, uh, you know, um, astronomy and, and space exploration that if if there is this, uh, disclosure that we aren't alone in the universe, that's only going to benefit humanity, I think, and move us forward. So, um, I hope that there is a significant event as opposed to this kind of desensitizing drip feed of information, because that's, it's painfully slow and it's frustrating. We've been waiting 75 years uh, and we still don't know a lot more today than what we did in 1947. Uh, You you, you have so many, so many stories. I mean, you, you know, what, what, what evidence do we really have? I mean, you've got a lot of anecdotal evidence, you've got a lot of stories uh, and, you know, experiences. I hope that experiences will have their day in due course that once, the uh, the nuts and bolts of UAP is kind of solidified in the populace's mind that this is real that experiences get their day and can feel confident that their stories are going to be taken seriously as well so uh, because unfortunately there they have been subject to the same amount if not more stigma and ridicule than uh, members of the military have uh, when they report a UAP so, that's that's that's. I mean, we live in exciting times, but that's my hope that um, you know, experiences do have their day and, and they're able to get some answers on on what they saw, uh, rather than having to live with the shame and the embarrassment that they tell someone what they saw and they're fearful that they're going to be made fun of by just recounting what they saw with their own two eyes. They can't explain it, but they saw something. So I hope that they, um, I hope they get, get get some peace over time when we know more information so
2: yeah, yeah absolutely you know like there's so much stigma and ridicule attached to the whole subject in general and like as you're saying like just the the public um especially on social media like, you see it everywhere like people are just getting thrown into the dirt you know just saying like you're full of shit like and i'm like this isn't to say like or give it discredit to anyone's sightings and stuff like but obviously yes a lot of things do get misidentified you know there's a lot of explanations to a lot of things that have an easy explanation it's just um people need to go and sort of do a Bit of homework, get an idea of you know what is out actually out there. Like, you know, people confusing Starlink or even planets in the sky, um, not keeping an eye on the astral formations of um, you know, constellations, etc., and all sorts of stuff. Um, like, and it's and like it's fine, like, you know, people need to learn at some stage and that, but like, it doesn't deserve the ridicule that people have been oh, absolutely, you know? it's, it's and it's horrible. And I like, I won't just, dis- it- I won't discredit any one of their sightings. Um, I would try and always try and help them to go. Look, this is what I think it is. I'll never claim it's going to be a, an alien craft because, for one, if half the stuff that I get anyway, it doesn't give any convincing evidence that it's going to be uh, that looks like an alien craft. And unless you can give me something that has actual windows, a little alien there that's not CGI waving at us, going, you know, how you going? Then yeah, I, like I'd love to be able to have that evidence. But the, the what the public seems to keep capturing is always seems to be something that can be explainable or it could be something that's just unknown that can't be really explained to the full extent of what you know evidence can give us um, and again it's not to discredit anyone but it's just more so to say like we're not going to admit it's an alien craft just yet because it's just an unknown thing at this point in time and look I, I feel just yeah there needs to be a lot more credibility to the ufo communities in that sort of sense that just
0: yeah <laughs> yeah I, I I completely agree with you and and you know I I um, unfortunately have not yet had I've never had a sighting of, of a UFO or UAP it's on my bucket list I would bloody love to uh, you know at least uh, to see something and but the approach that I take is if you if you're an experience if you've had uh, a sighting or um, what you know you believe to be an abduction event, who am I to judge your experience? That's your experience. That's what, you know, that's what you believe to be true. And that's, and that's your experience. And I can't judge. Um, I can't judge that experience. I can question uh, the, the, the details around your experience to try and um, get a better understanding as to, well, you know, what, what did you see? What, 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 what occurred and so on. So I can gain um, a picture in my own mind to satisfy my own curiosity and to, to, you know, uh, to, to better try and understand what you had, um, you had experienced. But um, I, I approach, uh, the, the approach that I take with experiences is, is you know, safety and safety in numbers and strength in numbers for experiences that are out there that, have not um, shared their story with anyone in the past because they're fearful of stigma and ridicule. Um, I would say to them, you know, listen to your podcast encounters down under or get on the AUFOS uh, face, Facebook group and start a conversation with, with folks that um, are just like you and I that are very open to this topic and fascinated by it because they're not going to, um, shut you down or ridicule you for for having an experience. If you if you have a conversation with someone uh, that you know you don't know or is you clearly know does not have an appetite for this topic, then you, you need to be aware of the fact that you're potentially going to get some significant pushback. But I mean, I, I I'm not an experiencer, but I'm having conversations on this topic more frequently with people that. Um, I thought would never be interested in this topic, and just random members of the general public. Like a couple of months ago, I was traveling to Sydney, and I was going through the security checkpoint. Uh, and I had, I was, I was doing some research earlier in the year on the Phoenix Lights incident, and namely, um, Kurt Russell's account of the Phoenix Lights. I uncovered some some new information, uh, and I was reading the a book by Dr. Lin Kitai, and the the security checkpoint uh, agent or or guy, he opened my bag, went through and he noticed the book. And before we knew it, we were having a lengthy conversation about about UFOs. So I think people have, uh, there are a lot of people that have a curiosity on this topic. They just need to feel comfortable and safe to talk about it. And that's why I always think that, you know, uh, involving yourself in a community like the community that you offer and um, podcasts or live streams, uh, or, you know, being a part of uh, MUFON and other organizations can really help, um, you know, bolster your, um, uh, can can help you come out of your shell and, and you know, make you realize that there really is safety in numbers and strength in numbers. If you uh, surround yourself that have a like mind of, of your own, then it's... It, it's it's much easier to start talking uh, about this topic. And the more you talk about it, the more you will feel comfortable about it and the more you will uh, do it on a more frequent basis. And that's very much where I've come from. Like I, throughout COVID, uh, I was just sitting on the sidelines watching uh, a lot of live streamers and podcasters talk about this topic. And it was an event called the, the Big Phone Home, which was, an activism event that was uh, trying to encourage uh, everyday folks that had uh, an appetite and a curiosity for this topic to engage their elected representatives and demand greater transparency from, uh, from the government and demand that the government take it more seriously. So being, being involved in that event, for me, really helped me get off my ass and, uh, and get in the game rather than watch on the sidelines. And learning from people like John Greenwald Jr., who runs the BlackVault.com, and he's been—you're uh, doing some wonderful work uh, r- revealing information through the Freedom of Information Act in the United States for more than a couple of decades. So I've learned from John, and I've applied uh, those learnings to, you know. Uh, trying to uh, gain information that I have a right to. We all, as taxpayers, have a right to information. So if there's documentation that the Australian government has on UFOs or UAP, I have a right to that information and I can ask for it and I can do it through the Freedom of Information Act. And that's what I've been doing. And uh, over the last, I would say, six months, it's, uh, it's revealing some pretty significant information, uh, reiterating the mindset of the Australian Department of Defence and Royal Australian Air Force, that they have absolutely no desire to touch this topic. And uh, if more and more people um, that were in my position that have never reached out to their elected representative, their member of parliament or the senator before, if more and more people do that and start asking their elected representatives, uh, well, why isn't Australia taking the UAP topic seriously when our US ally is? Uh, the more people that ask that of the elected representatives, those elected representatives are going to then ask questions of, the Australian Department of Defence, the Royal Australian Air Force, and they're going to get answers because if Senator Wish Wilson, as an example, um, if he submits, if he has questions that he wants to ask at a Senate Estimates hearing, like he did in October of last year, uh, the the Defence leadership is obligated to answer his questions. Whereas if I submit a Freedom of Information Act request. Um, you know, they can reject my request based on the administrative burner that it may put on the freedom of information team because there's a big issue with freedom of information uh, in general at the moment it's in need of reform. So the more uh, members of parliament senators, that, senators we can get engaged on this topic and take it, taking it seriously, uh, their questions go straight to the top of the pile. Their questions will get answered, whereas... You can only uh, go so far with you know, uh, securing information through Freedom of Information uh, Act documents. It's good. It, it often a Freedom of Information uh, you know, release will reveal more breadcrumbs for you that might form part of a larger loaf of bread so you can then go after other information. But um, I, I do strongly believe that if we all engage our elected representatives uh, consistently and persistently on this topic uh Australia will start to uh, will will start to um to listen and uh and hopefully take it more seriously rather than just waiting for things to develop in the US and then them just feeling like they have to get into the game we can force their hand by demanding transparency now and reach out to our elected representatives
2: yeah absolutely so, so um in an example like um where could these people sort of look for these representatives to be able to contact them and what would you recommend for them to go and actually write down in these uh, documents to send off to hierarchies yeah good
0: good question so uh and so that was the whole focus of this event that was uh this it was an all-day online uh, live stream activism event called uh the big phone home three and uh i had the the privilege and pleasure of being uh invited to participate in that event and i had a one-hour interview time slot with uh, with the hosts, uh, Louise Jimenez, Rather Be Squidding, and uh, Jane Kyle. They were the the organizers of this event. And I was essentially just uh, relaying during that live stream activism event the same information that I'm relaying to you now. And I would certainly encourage uh, your listeners, if they want to, like I did, engage their elected representatives and demand that, uh, you know, that Australia, the Australian government, take this topic seriously, they can actually uh, you know, contact them via an email template that uh, I had the fortune, the good fortune of being asked to author uh, for that big phone home event. So, if you want, I don't know if I've got um, screen sharing capability, but I can show your your viewers if you want uh, the website.
2: We must get a full screen in here and let's see if I can figure it out because so I'm still learning this bloody thing here.
0: That's all good. I think I can do it. I'll just do it on mine. So let me know if you can see this. Uh, if you just add that screen I've shared to your stream, it might have displayed next to my uh, video there.
2: Nothing showed up there. Hang on. Oh, that's sharing that screen. Hang on. <laughs> I'm going the wrong way here. That's my screen. Let's have a look. Oh, yeah, there it is.
0: There we go. Yep. Yeah. So, um, the, the web address, it's, um, just the big And, uh, this, you can actually, if you want to, uh, you can watch the event. It was a, an all day live stream that was recorded on, uh, in Australia on the 20th of August 19th in the U S and uh, I, I was on in the second hour. But, um, if you just scroll on down the website, um, Really, just ignore. Well, step one's an important one. So there is a, a petition in the U.S. at the moment that uh, you know we're asking people to sign to demand release of the uh, the gimbal, the GoFast, and the Tic Tac video in their entirety because you know we it's it's about time we see that that footage uh, in in its you know in its in its full entirety rather than just the scraps that we've been given so far but step 3 if you come on down and you see this section labeled write an email or letter there is an email script uh, the first one is us centric so just ignore that one for the moment but if you scroll on down the second one is the template that um, that i authored and it it can and you can tailor it and personalize it for best fit but it's essentially a really good introductory email that you can send to your elected representative, your senator or your member of parliament, uh, that will introduce them to the UAP topic, highlight the, the potential threats to national security and flight safety of flight risk that they may pose, uh, military aviators, commercial pilots and general aviation pilots. And it kind of just asks these questions, you know, despite our US and Five Eyes partner taking the topic of UAP incredibly seriously, uh, Australia is not. And, you know, why is Australia not taking it seriously? And so we kind of asked these um, thought-provoking questions that if your senator or member of parliament read these, then hopefully that's going to get them thinking, well, maybe I should get some answers for my constituents because, um, you know, we have the power. We, we vote in, uh, you know, whichever party that we have a preference for and, you uh, you know, you know that you're a member of parliament, you're a senator. If you um, if you reach out to them consistently and persistently enough, they're going to take your uh, your inquiries seriously, and uh, they're they're going to either respond to you uh, or for as in one example recently, where um, a, a, an Australian uh, gentleman uh, who had watched uh, my interview on the Big Phone home. He used this email template. He copied and pasted it to his uh, his uh, senator in the ACT, Senator Cat, uh, Katie Gallagher. And uh, Senator Gallagher had replied to him and said, thank you for submitting, uh, bringing this information to my attention. And she then wrote a letter, addressed it and sent it to the Minister for Defence, Richard Miles, asking Richard Miles to provide an answer to the questions that are at our, uh, that are posed in this email template. So this is just an example. I'm not saying this is the be all end all approach, but if you're new to this topic and you've never, um, even if you're not new to the topic, if you haven't engaged your le- elected representatives before, you can just be as, as easy as a wish and just copy and paste uh, this email template and send it to your elected uh, representative. And if you're not sure how to contact your elected representative, uh, if you just do a Google search, uh, you know, contact your member of parliament, uh, you will be able to quickly and easily, you know, pull up means by which you can reach out to them electronically, email, you can tweet them if you're on Twitter, you can send a message to them on Facebook if you want to do snail mail, or if you just want to jump on the phone uh, and uh, and and come up with your own script, you can. But we're, we're, we're seeing some success with that email template. So that's what I would certainly encourage that your, um, your, your listeners consider doing if they're, keen to engage their elected representative
2: yep so when it comes to um the local electorate is that uh, it's in like the uh, the mayor or would it be better to go for the premier maybe
0: so i would suggest uh you do it at a, a, a state level i mean you can go if you want to uh, sorry um uh, you could go local and state but i would suggest you do it actually as a at a, at a federal level so reach out to your um your members of, of parliament uh, for, for for your district or your um, so for me uh, my member of parliament is um, uh, Bill shorten, uh, former you know um, leader of uh, the, the Labor Party and uh, I've reached out to him. he um, has his engagement was a little bit lackluster he responded but he basically said, look, uh, you're best position to, uh, direct your inquiries to the Minister of Defence, which was then uh, Peter Dutton, which I did under the Liberal uh, leadership and now with with, with Labour leadership, so that's where Richard Miles is. But if you... I mean, I'll, I don't know if you want to share uh, the link with uh, your uh, audience, if you... Through this. Uh, Hang on. Uh, uh, so I'll just show you very quickly. I'll just pull up...
2: this one bringing
0: up the... Um, no, I'll just bring up the, a link. I'm just going to pull up a brand new um, link for you. Here you go. So, um, you know, I can I can share this link with you, Anthony, if you want to post it in any uh, commentary. But essentially, uh, this is, you know, information on how you can contact your senators and members. And uh, you can just essentially type in your postcode. You know, I live in Melbourne. So if I did a, a 3000 search, uh, it's going to tell me, well, who are the elected representatives for my postcode? Uh, you know, if I wanted to reach out to Adam Ban, I can tweet him, I can email him. So this is a good way in which you can reach out to them electronically. Not all of them will have email addresses, as you can see. But if they if they don't, you can uh, inquire as to that information directly from their office. Uh, you can give the, the, you know, his electric uh, his, his electorate details or his office a call and find out what is an email address that you can send correspondence to. So this website's just the Australian, uh, the, the Parliament of Australia website. All you need to do is a Google search is uh, contact my elected uh, or contact my member of parliament. And the first uh, result that you'll get on on Google is really, um, you know, contacting senators and members of Parliament of Australia website. So it's as simple as really just, copying and pasting uh the email template and fire off an email and and see how you go with your engagement
2: yeah absolutely no that's awesome because i suppose it's one of the things like a lot of people sort of confused on like if they did want to attack them like where exactly to don't hit him hard because um, you know like um you know everyone will probably go for the defense minister and like you're obviously going to get a, a pretty black bluster sort of response i suppose, but as you're saying, like the more people that sort of start hitting their local electorates and that sort of stuff, you know, it'll so start banding together, more questions are going to be raised and it's just to start being shown a lot more interest from the public and hopefully taking a lot more serious. So that's no, awesome, mate. Thank you very much for showing us through that. That's um, that's excellent.
0: You're very welcome. And and yeah, I would just uh, encourage folks that if, if they if they are keen to uh, reach out to their elected uh, members of parliament senators, then and that's a really good introductory resource for you to rely on and, and tailor for best fit in a in a style that's appropriate for you
2: yeah no absolutely look, look mate, we're going to get to the end of the show there mate so look thank you very much for coming on and um thanks for all your hard efforts there going hitting the australian governments of course um trying to get some information out of them and um, <laughs> you, you, hopefully get them on the bandwagon with the american government at least
0: that's that's the goal so i mean i really appreciate the time you've given me uh i'll keep on keeping on and, and try and engage um you know my elected reps and and get um you know, information from the Department of Defence to... Um, the, the goal is to uh, apply enough pressure through Freedom of Information Act requests and having more people ask questions of their elected representatives on this topic that they have to come to... Uh, they'll, they'll have to come to a point where they'll, they'll need to conduct a formal review of their current position on UAP. Because the current position of the Australian Department of Defence is... We don't have any protocols or reporting mechanisms in place to investigate UAP or collect any data, and we haven't since 1996. We don't want to touch the subject. So if more people make noise about this topic, then uh, eventually we can uh, try and force their hand and get them to at least review their position on this topic.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Let's hope so because I um, definitely need this. It's well overdue, to say the least. So, yeah. Mate, look.
0: I agree with you. Again. Yep, that's... But, um, so you're um, very welcome. You're very welcome. No. Well, um, are you available for people
2: to get in contact with you if they have any questions regarding this whole thing?
0: A- ab- absolutely. Uh, I'm I'm mainly on Twitter. So uh, my Twitter handle is just at Grant Lavac. My, my name is displayed on screen. Uh, it's, uh, if you're listening to the podcast version, um, at G-R-A-N-T-L-A-V-A-C. Uh, I'm very active on Twitter. I also have a YouTube channel called uh, The Unexplained Rundown. Uh, just search for Grant Lavac on YouTube and you'll find my channel. Uh, I've got a couple of videos on there that I've done to date. A uh, bit of a deep dive analysis of what is Australia doing about UAPs. That's the primary focus of my, uh, of my content, but there's a few other uh, bits and pieces in there as well. Uh, if you're a fan of the Phoenix Lights and you want to better understand uh, Kurt Russell's account uh, there's a there's a fun video on there as well so yeah YouTube and Twitter are the best best places to find me
2: awesome nah mate awesome absolutely awesome mate again thank you very much for your time coming on mate and um, giving a rundown of your whole <laughs> endeavor basically um, but absolutely awesome mate so yeah look mate uh, again to contact you uh, down the tr- track there mate and see where you're at I suppose
0: absolutely so- yeah I-, I really appreciate you, uh, you you have me on give me some time with your audience and uh and, uh, and hope that we get some answers uh, in the not-too-distant future.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And hopefully some more results of it, at, at least. You know, something something compelling. <laughs> so, mate, all right, mate thanks Indeed. again. I'll
0: catch you soon. Okay. Cheers. All mate. the best. Thanks, Anthony. Cheers.
2: And that will do it, folks, for this episode of Encounters Down Under. I hope you enjoyed the show. And remember, you can also get involved in the show by joining the Facebook page and getting in on the live streams. Also, please be sure to share with your friends and family to help us grow and potentially find our next guest on the show. If you or you know someone who has had an encounter, please get in touch with me through our Facebook page via Messenger or email at Sightings at outlook.com.au. I look forward to seeing you on the next Encounter Down Under. Hooroo!